Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's time to make it last. <laughs> and this is the word on the hill. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. My name is Father Peter Musser. Did you notice how I didn't give commentary on your song? I usually always give comment. <laughs> whatever you choose to sing at the beginning, which I guess I just did, so I just self defeated myself. I I felt like that that was um, what do you call it? Uh, like a like a chant of a bunch of lumbermen. Oh building yeah, that's a podcast. it. I couldn't we kind of had that like kind of a podcast. <laughs> we are building the podcast with zeros and ones and code. <laughs> I, uh, during what our word pr- did you use? Yeah, before the podcast, I was like, dear Jesus, I just ask you, just would you bless all the NAND flash that our podcast is going to be stored on? I wish you guys could see. It's a podcast so you can't see. I wish you could, you, your hands were very Joel Osteen. Right? And the <laughs> voice and the hair and everything. Yeah, man. Hey, man. Not oh, the hair. Dude, this is the thing. Is What I realized is that the haircut I got is actually, if done um, with consideration, is a pompadour. As well it should be. I yep. don't know what else you would do. Yeah, I don't know either. Which is going to be weird if you ever become a bishop because it's going to be awkward to put a zucchetto on that. Oh, man. I'm just, just going to keep uh, popping it right off. Yeah, yeah no, no. I'm going <laughs> to keep I'm gonna keep the popping. You're going to be like a cartoon character. Zucchetto, no, you're going to be a cartoon character. It's going to be like, zoing. <laughs> oh, whenever you're like excited or like surprised by something. Oh. Zoing. <laughs> Your hair will pop up and the zucchetto will fly off. That is awesome. Oh, you guys. It is the 20th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Is that right? Yep. And St. Jane Francis de Chantel, if it was not the 20th Sunday. Okay, but it is. It is, so it's not. <laughs> so it's <laughs> It's got to be either or. It can't be both and. Well, I guess it is both and. Uh, I, I don't mean, I don't know. It's literally. just you, you don't celebrate it because it's um it's totally um uh Trump's. So what would the 20th Sunday of ordinary time Trump's somebody's feast, feast day? day? Every every time you have a solemnity it trumps the feast day. It's not a solemnity. Every Sunday's a solemnity. Oh, I see what you're saying. So it would be her feast day if it if her day if the 18th of august was not a sunday correct i get it now okay i'm there yep. I'm so when, up. when we do this one as a repeat then everybody's <laughs> gonna be totally confused <laughs> what are you talking about uh, they're confused now okay let's be honest all right our first reading is coming from the book of jeremiah uh chapter 38 verses 4 through 6 and then jumping to 8 through 10 and the reason Poor little verse seven. The reason why uh, it jumps is because Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Come on! I was wondering when the bullfrog joke would show up. I mean, you, you actually played it better than I thought. Hey, thanks. You would. Yeah, so yeah. Well I mean, played. Well it, it had to be contextual. No, yeah, but you did it. Usually, you just burst into song when I say the name, <laughs> and you didn't. You control. That was, uh, that was hey, good. self-control. It, it's the Red Bull. <laughs> you guys, we haven't had Red Bull before a podcast in a very long it's time. It's been a while. It's been a while, and uh, I'm pretty Today's happy. The day. I, I, I kind of right before the podcast, Scott and I um, uh, took the top off my Jeep. I fixed my Jeep. It's like running. It's it's, it's like glorious. He has uh, like the Jeep of Jeeps. If you if you don't know, I don't know if we've talked about it much. I mean, it's super beefed not. up. It's got a little Roman collar for the grill. It's. Yeah. I mean, it's quite a sight. It to is see. thirty-seven inch tires on a four-inch lift. That's a lot. Lots of armor, see. roll cage. You know the whole nine. Whole nine. Responsorial Psalm. Psalm forty, mm-hmm. um, verses two and three and four, jumping to eighteen with the responsible coming from fourteen B. Fourteen B. And our second reading is coming from Hebrews, uh, chapter twelve, verses one through four. It's actually not the responsible. It's the antiphon. I just remembered that it's, its proper name. Have we been saying it wrong for six years? No, I mean, remember how I deceived you about it? And I, about I took versicle. Page, yeah, versicle. Responsicle. Responsicle. So versicle's real. Versicle's Responsicle real. is not. Right. Vers- okay. 
<laughs> but if I had if I had a, oh some gosh. sort of confectionery shop, I would make the responsible. Okay. Okay. Our second reading. <laughs> did you just give or her an ice cream truck? Oh, I'll, yeah. take a, I'll take a cherry responsicle, please. And I'd like a I'd like a grape versicle. <laughs> yes, I did say the second reading. Okay, Gospels, Luke twelve forty nine to fifty three. All right, all right, all right. So Jeremiah is uh, ooh, mm, dude, ooh, mm, you have no idea. I mean, you probably do. <laughs> well, I mean, come on, well, talk I, to I, me. I had to dig a little bit deeper in the story, okay. just because the the the, uh, the narrative that surrounds this particular passage. Um, it's, is really important and very interesting. And I think I, I, I didn't expect it to connect, um, some dots with the gospel in the way that it did. Oh, cause I'm struggling with the gospel to be honest with you. Okay. I mean, I don't not get it, but it's hard to kind of get profound. I mean, Jesus is pretty forceful and pretty like clear and like, Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, th- this is, it, this is an interesting experience about, um, priests preaching. We talk about this in seminary a lot about, about five priests preaching seven, <laughs> seven deacons Podcast, podcasting. Okay, please. Okay. <laughs> we could Two do this all day. Golden rings. There it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, where did that come from? Because you said when priests preach. Oh yeah, priests preaching. Preach, yeah, priests does, like, preaching. dancer dancing, and when <laughs> priests preach, if you get a priest who does a lot of moralisms, uh-huh. so it's 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 like the um, the kind of direct. This is what you should do. Uh-huh. Kind of preaching. It's uh-huh. hard to actually like get, Jeremiah did. Yes, <laughs> to be frank. The, to be frank, it's hard to actually get past it because it's yeah. so intense that it's hard to experience kind of a deeper glorified moment. Okay. And that's really what we're looking for is we're looking for the glory the of the deeper connection. glorified moment. Right. Hmm. So which is there. It, it's it's always there. It's just harder to get to when it's when well, it's so kind of okay. moralistic. That's why I wonder if maybe the context of Jeremiah does gives us a little bit of that. Okay. We'll see we'll see what happens. Here okay. So Jeremiah 30 the, the passage that we get here is about Jeremiah being dropped into a cistern. Because everyone's ticked at him. Everyone's mad. Because basically he's saying, hey, you guys have been unfaithful. We, he's not He's not one of those us and them kind of guys. He's like, right. look, Israel has been unfaithful. We have abandoned the covenant and done all these terrible things. And there's going to be punishment. And it is going to happen. And nobody likes this. And the whole, the whole book of Jeremiah is him basically saying, things are bad, you guys. Stop thinking that everything's okay. Stop thinking that everything we're doing is right and good. Things are bad and there's judgment coming. And now we're at the point in the book toward the end of it when the judgment is really arriving it's it's coming now yeah and you almost get the sense that the animosity against jeremiah is heating up so i want to back up um just kind of as a block to talk about um chapter 34 on okay because you can kind of you can kind of look at these chapters They're, they're organized thematically and I think looking at kind of what happens in each of them is is really important. So chapter 34, which is kind of the beginning, I think, of this major section in Jeremiah, something really important happens in the in chapter 34. And Jeremiah, it's hard to read because he sort of jumps around time-wise and there's flashbacks and there's flash-forwards. And so it's, it's hard to keep track of where you are in history chronologically. Right. But um, anyway, chapter 34 is about... Basically, this moment, I believe it's King Zedekiah, who I think is the last sitting king okay. before the destruction of Jerusalem, which is what Jeremiah has been foretelling. Like, things are bad. They're going to yep. get worse. And so in sort of desperation, in a last-ditch effort to try to stave off this punishment and this obliteration from Babylon, King Zedekiah sort of listens to Jeremiah, opens his heart a little bit, and he declares a jubilee year. Okay. Have we talked about this ever before? 
This is this is the reason we've talked about these big themes before, but I don't know if we've ever nailed down as exact as Jeremiah makes clear precisely why Israel goes into exile and why Israel is destroyed by the, the Babylonians. And it's because of this jubilee. So basically, it's... Oh, it, yeah, because it, we have talked about yeah, this before. I feel like about, we have. Yeah, but, but, I, but I think it's important to actually reiterate is, right. is well, we can't go back on it again. <laughs> well, oh, oh. I see what you did there. Look at you when you're... So, so basically what happens is Zedekiah is like, oh, geez, we need to kind of listen. This is bad. There's punishment coming. What do we do? And he's searching his brain. He's like, uh, the Jubilee year. <laughs> That's something we haven't done in a yeah, long time. Right, which is which is like it, there's actually a rhythm and established times and seasons. There's supposed for, to be. For the Jubilee. but it's supposed to be. And if you bail on the Jubilee, yeah. it's not like you get a... It's it's not like makeup homework or, or like what well, is it? Well, that's I don't know. That's debatable. It's not supposed to be right. But you do get the impression. Well, okay. Let me let me say what I'm going to say. So Je- uh, Zedekiah, no, no, because makeup your, homework. Your I have point not, is important. I have not thought about makeup homework. Oh, you haven't? No, like it, have. you you have kids, but like no, I, in my class last semester, I oh, had some do some makeup stuff. And man, makeup homework is being on the other messy, side of it. Dude. It's so much messier when you're the one who has to give it. Oh, it's so much. So much worse, having been on both sides. <laughs> oh, anyway. Hurts me. So, but he's trying to do, yeah, he is kind of trying to do that. And I think that God is sympathetic to it. So the Jubilee, basically, it's this remembrance of the Exodus. And it was given around the time of the Exodus. And basically, it's God saying, hey, first every seven years, the, the, the Sabbath year, but then especially every 50 years, you were to set free. It's a year of freedom. It's a year of release, anamnesis in Greek, right? And you were to release all slaves. If you have any slaves or any workers, set them free. Any debt, it is to be freed and released. And any land free, that free, you've taken is supposed to be free. given back to its ancestral owners. So land, debt, and slaves, all of them set free, right? right. That's what the Jubilee is. And it's supposed to be done every 50 years. You see sometimes in scripture when a new king comes to power, even places other than Israel, sometimes a new king will come to power and he'll declare something like a jubilee year just to show what a great king he's going to be. Hey, it's my first year as king. All credit card debt is wiped off the map. You know, imagine somebody becoming president in, what, two years and saying all, well, candidates, even now, they're making these promises like all student loan debt's going to be wiped out. All mortgages will be gotten rid of. You know, I mean, it's that kind of a thing. And so kings would do this sometimes just to make people like them. But in Israel, it had not been followed. That's clear. They had not done it. Because if you're on the receiving end, yeah, that's great. But if you're on the giving end, it's not so good, right? If you're the one who has to- If you're the credit card company, you're going to be like, oh, what? You don't want to do that. So they haven't done it. And and I mean, and like when when the Jubilees were done in a regular capacity, yeah. then the, if that ever happened, right, which is it, unclear, to we, be honest with you, it, you would you would deal in in terms of how close you are to the jubilee on how much you would. Oh, that's true. Try, try <laughs> yeah, to that's get, a good point. So, so the money lenders are actually and and the the housing people and huh. the renters and the slaves and all this stuff. Yeah. You're saying like, oh, I'll, I'll do this and. It's, it just gets – the prices change because totally. you know, totally. you know that close. it's all going to be over in a little bit. Totally. So he declares a jubilee year. He's like, oh, my gosh, we haven't done this. Maybe God will be merciful to us if we start basically doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, part of it's bargaining, but part of it is just recognizing, I think, we really should have been doing this. Let's start now, which is always a good thing. I mean, right. you could be living in sin for most of your life and have the moment of realization like, oh, my gosh, I, I really need to change this. Right. And I think God respects that. And he, right. he, So Zedekiah declares this. They all set their slaves free. And you get the impression that after a day or two of like having to scrub their own toilets and clean their own bathrooms and make their own meals, everyone gets kind of sick of it. And they're like, yeah, we don't like this anymore. So they go back and they take back all their slaves. 
and they rescind the Jubilee year. They go back on it. And that's when God actually says through Jeremiah, he, and this goes back to your point. He says, look, it's one thing to ignore the Jubilee year and not do it. That's one thing and that's bad, but it's a whole nother level to do it and swear a covenant that you're going to do it and make a vow and then go back and take it back. That's not cool. And basically what he says is you haven't, the the whole Jubilee is a lesson of the Exodus. Basically it's God saying, look, you, Israel, you were enslaved, you were indebted to the Egyptians and you lost your land. So now in the Jubilee, I am showing you, I will release you from your slavery. I will take you out of your indebtedness to your, your, uh, your uh, overlords. And I'm going to give you a promised land. And if you can't do that for each other, then you clearly don't understand what I've done for you. That's what God says. You know, I was talking with a friend about um, the wedding vows okay, and how wedding vows, when you do a renewal at an anniversary, uh-huh. you never repeat them you in don't. the church. No, the, yeah. the, you don't stand up and you, and you give your vows a second time. You don't. No, you, give us, you, you, you bless the rings or you exchange them with new words because the church says in a real way is that those words are uttered once. The vow was the vow. The vow Period. was the vow, and it was declared huh. before the church and the people and to each other, wow. and that that word needs be uttered once. Oh, interesting. And so- That's totally what's going on here. Right, exactly. In a very real way. Right, and so so what happens is that is that God needs to promise only once yeah. because he is, a, he is faithful to his word. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that because then what God says is, okay, because you haven't understood this, I'm going to put you back in slavery. I'm going to put you back in indebtedness and I'm going to take away your land. Right. You're going to go back to Babylon so that I can do it again. So th- In a different way, albeit. Very right. different way. Right. And I mean, well, that's, that's why we call Jesus Christ the Word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the Word uttered by the Father and his perfect obedience to the Father. Yeah. It needs only be said once. Okay. So this is what happens in chapter 34. Chapter 35 is this brief respite about this group called the Rechabites, who are basically the (laughs) fate. Just please say that 10 times fast. The Rechabites, 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 Rechabites. That was my favorite. Sounds like a fraggle. The Rechabites. (laughs) The Rechabites and the Fraggles. I'm sorry to all the Rechabites. Got into a football match, (laughs) rugby match. Fraggle, fraggle, rugby match. Fraggle match. Anyway, they're this this remnant of faithful Israelites. Basically, it's this little vignette showing, hey, not everybody's terrible, and there's some faithful folks. And then it jumps to chapter 36, where you have a different king. This is Jehoiakim, I think, which is, I think, going backwards. And and this is uh, the thing that might relate to the gospel. Um, basically, he gets so angry at Jeremiah because Jeremiah is like, look, you guys can't continue this way. Like, this is bad. Right. And it's getting worse. And actually, what really is the straw that breaks the camel's back is that Jeremiah says, and this is what is hard and I don't know what to do with. And it's really dangerous to create analogies to this, but I don't know how to get around it. What Jeremiah says is, look, what you need to do is, ba- look, Babylon's coming. You have committed your sin and there is punishment to be had and you have, you've made your bed. And it's not just God getting mad. Like you've created a world and you've created a culture in which sin is thriving and all these ba- terrible things are happening. So what you need to do is put your head down and submit to the Babylonians. Right. And if you submit, then you will live. And if you fight or if you try to flee and you do not take your punishment, then you will die. And the king gets so angry, he takes the scroll, the words of Jeremiah that were copied down, and he burns them in the fire. So he takes the word of God and he burns it because he's so angry at these words. And the irony in the text is that as he burns the word of God, 
which is the warning. In a couple chapters, Jerusalem itself will be burned. Do you know the only other time I think about that? What? When people like burn each other's letters. Oh, like a, like an ex-boyfriend or something? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I picture like a rom-com where girls burn <laughs> friends' letters. That's exactly what I'm saying. I think there was a Friends episode where they do that. Right. Yeah, no, it, totally. It's saying we are severing totally this relationship. Severing this absolutely. Is, this is over. And, and yes. Jeremiah in his relationship with God yes. is the mouthpiece of God. And so right. there, there's a very strong declaration of saying... Yes. Even you know, yes. I am. No, I'm yes. not going to take some sort of medicine from God as if yes. this is going to be yes. as, as if the Babylonians are supposed to be some sort of healing remedy for us. And not only that, he's like, I cannot let anybody else hear this either. So not only am I going to reject this and sever this word, but I refuse to let anyone else hear this because it's mm-hmm. too dangerous. And then is where we get to where we are now. And Jeremiah is then put in prison and then he's lowered into the cistern. Yeah. And they're like, no, he's done. And they try to kill him right. by lowering him into the cistern. But the cistern was a way to kill him without actually killing him. Right. They're like, let's lower him into the cistern. We'll put him in there and he'll drown. And, you know, that's on him. Right. And then there's this moment of mercy where uh, Ebedmelech, which basically means the servant of the king. Um, it, it's not really a name. It's a title. So the servant of the king basically goes to the king. is like, look, king, we, we got we to gotta have some mercy on this guy. Like, this is not okay. Like, look at where we've going. And some, it, the text doesn't tell us why, but for some reason there's this softening of the king's heart that is unexplained where he's like, all right, get him out. Hmm. And then actually what we don't get right after this point, the king has a private meeting with Jeremiah. And he's like, all right, man. He's like, don't tell anybody we're meeting. This is a secret meeting. He's like, what's the deal? Like, what do we got to do? And that's where Jeremiah repeats. He's like, put your head down, submit to the Babylonians. And the king's like, okay. And guess what he doesn't do? Do that. Exactly. He doesn't do that. Um, This is the thing is, it's like the echoes with Joseph are so strong. How so? Joseph, technically Dream Coast Joseph or Jesus's? Joseph. Joseph. He gets thrown into the oh, cistern, yeah, into true. the well, that's and true. B- because of yeah. because of his interpretation of dreams, and then he's oh, like, yeah. totally, he, totally, he totally. I'm, I'm then, with you. And yeah. then he actually is is totally. going to be the one who's who is going to save the people. But but the the and this is what everyone's kind of expected. Like everyone knows the Joseph story, and Joseph was like inf- falsely imprisoned and unjustly treated, and then he has this vision and. The vision is, oh, I'm going to save Israel by creating these storehouses and we'll be wealthy and we will save everybody else around us and that's going to be awesome. And Jeremiah's like, yeah, I'm doing the same thing. By but skipping the, way the in happy which, middle part. It's skipping the happy, it's skipping the happy ending too. The way in which <laughs> Israel is going to be saved is by submitting to your enemies. And right. saying, okay, this is God's will that we take this. Right. Re- remember how you were in Egypt and Egypt wanted to kill you? Yeah. We're going to just skip all that happy metal part right. and I'm going to actually give you your punishment because yeah. you know the story. And you, you know, know story. that ultimately what I'm going to do is I'm going to act to set you free as a people. Right. But you better take your medicine. But it's not going to be easy to get to that. Which leads us to the response Takes us to the response orals. Lord, come to my aid. <laughs> but so I was thinking about this and the, the immediate context or connection you might want to make, you know, Lord, come to my aid. I'm hearing Jeremiah in the cistern saying, hey, why am I being treated this way? Why am I being imprisoned? Why am I being thrown down here? He waited for the Lord. He stooped down toward me. He heard my cry. He literally, the second stanza says, he drew me out of the pit of destruction. That is literally what happens to Jeremiah. Right. But then you got to see it a little bit differently and then see it in terms of all of Israel. Lord, come to my aid. Okay, I'll come to your aid. I will stoop down to you. How am I going to do that? By using your enemies to actually chastise you will be the root of your salvation. Right. 
So when it's saying, Lord, come to my aid, I guess the question is, are we willing to accept the medicine that will actually aid us? Because the Lord will come to our aid. He will save us. Right. But Israel doesn't want the particular medicine it's going to take in this case. And this is where it's like the, 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 the foreshadowing of the cross in this is so freaking potent. And that's where, that's where all of sacred scripture needs to be seen and interpreted in the light of Jesus Christ. Because if you're reading this on its own, you're like, this makes no sense. What do right. you mean submit to the Babylon? Like, how, that's, it's inconceivable. And then we fast forward, inconceivable. And then we think about the cross. And all of a sudden we have a lens through which to read all of this. Right. That says, oh, maybe I do get that. Which leads us to our reading from last week from Hebrews, which is faith is the realization of things unseen. And And the evidence uh, of uh, what? No, faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the revelation of things unseen. Yes, yes, so it's, right, it's, right, right. So what, what happens is you see this and you're like, like oh, I can see how this story is totally found mm-hmm. in, in, in the cross. But but we're called as a people to have to go through this. We live the narrative. Right. This is our story. And we right. say, oh, yeah. oh, man, you mean we're going to have to submit to the to the political party that I hate? Right. You Oh, you mean the political party that, that I cannot stand? Right. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> Right, right. You're gonna... This is great abstractly, and it's great reading it back into salvation history right. until I actually have to deal with my enemies. Until I have to look at my governor, my own. Yeah. And, and I have to look at my governor and what my governor's doing in, yeah. in my state, and I'm going like, oh, this is killing me. Right. And there's a difference between submitting doesn't mean like, okay, I'll just agree, I'll just be happy and go along and support. Like, that's that's not the same thing. Right. You know what I mean? Not, God's not asking us to be doormats. Right. But I, honestly, I think the second reading actually gives a little bit of flesh to this because he says, brothers and sisters, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses like Jeremiah, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us. Right. And that's, I think, the key line in that that begins to interpret the rest. Why will Zedekiah not submit? Because he can't get rid of this burden and sin that clings to him. If he could rid himself of this burden of his having to look a certain way, having to have the people love him and bow down to him, wanting to be this great king, wanting to fit this you know image of himself, this sin, this terrible sin that clings to him, he could have the freedom to be like, all right, I'm just going to move forward in faith. I don't know what's on the other side of this, right. but I will walk forward and I will do what God asks of yes. me. I'm not going to love... I, I, I'm not going to agree with the Babylonians, but I'm going to say, okay, God, what do you want? Basically, it is God asking Israel and all of us in turn, how much are you willing to trust me? Right. How far are you willing to go in your trust of me? Are you willing to rid yourself of your burden and your fear and your hatred of whoever the they happens to be and move forward in faith and love of your enemy? And then all of a sudden when Jesus shows up in the Gospels and he's like, hey, love your enemies... All of a sudden, it, it paints another light of salvation history. And the what Israel is being asked to do toward Babylon takes on a bit of a different route because then you begin to see God's long game. And God's long game is not simply letting one fairly minor political superpower called Israel survive politically. It is transforming the whole world and calling them back to their identity as God's children. Right. That's the long game. And that's why then loving one's enemies, submitting to the Babylonians, then it begins to make sense because you're like, oh, you're not talking politics. Right. You're talking evangelization. 
And that's oh. for the sake of the joy that lay before him, him he endured the cross, despising yes. its shame, and has taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Mm. This is the thing is that like, that's actually the cloud of witnesses that we see mm. are the ones who have actually endured for the sake of joy. Endured opposition from sinners. Yeah. Right. In order that you, so don't grow weary so don't and lose grow heart. Weary. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the thing. Yeah. I mean, like that. That's I just imagine Israel being carted off by the Babylonians, and right. like, how much heart are they losing? Look, they're saying like, "Oh, we're just defeated. This is hard. Everything's awful." Put it put it in this sense. I was having a conversation with one of our students the other day about not about this and Jeremiah, but now I'm thinking of it in this light. Um, so you know, imagine Babylon comes; they begin to take Israel into slavery. God promised through Jeremiah, that they would not come to harm right. if that happened. So you imagine the Israelites being kind of taken off. And imagine what if they'd have had smiles on their faces? What if they'd have actually been showing love to their oppressors? And then I begin to think about this conversation I was having with one of our students about when Jesus says to the crowds in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. If, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other. If someone forces you to carry their bag one mile, carry it two. If someone takes your cloak, give them your tunic as well. These were things that the Roman centurions, the occupiers de jour, were all doing to the Israelites of Jesus' right. time. Right. And he's, they could legally make you carry their bag for one mile. And I imagine... These disciples who followed Jesus saying, you pulled me away from my family off the street. You dragged me here. You made me carry your bag for one mile. You know what, Roman centurion? Let me carry it for you for another one. And can you imagine the shock on the part of the Roman centurions? Like, wait, wait, what? What are you talking about? I just made you do this. Yeah. Can I carry it for another mile for you? What would that have done in the hearts of these people, right? right? And is it any coincidence then that the first person at the foot of the cross when Jesus dies who declares that that really was the Son of God is a Roman centurion right? who maybe experienced the weird, crazy juxtaposition that being faithful to Jesus' words and actually loving our enemies actually produces, mm. which is evangelization and a change of someone's heart. Right. And then you begin to see that this is, God has been preparing this and trying to get us to do this all throughout salvation history. And maybe with the grace of Jesus, some folks actually had the guts to finally do it. Right. And then guess what? We eventually get a Roman Catholic church, which, I mean, can you imagine telling the disciples in the time of Jesus <laughs> that eventually this church that they're dying and shedding their blood for and founding is going to be called Roman Catholicism? They're like, Romans? Are you, are you kidding me? What do you mean it's going to be called Roman Catholic? Like, they're the oppressors. They're the ones who are horrible. Right. Can you imagine it becoming Babylonian Judaism? Well, the Babylonian Talmud right. will eventually come out of that. Some of the greatest traditions in all of Judaism do come out of that moment of oppression. Because God can use anything if we allow him to do it. Mm. And then the story begins to change. You know what's so cool is, is uh, having done university ministry this long, you can see that there's this moment when somebody starts defending the faith mm. to their friends. They may not be Catholic yet, and they find themselves, they, the, the persecution starts to come, and they mm. find themselves actually offering an apology, a, a, like huh. a, an apologetic for apologetic, those things yeah. that, they're, that they're doing. doing. Yeah. Apology of Profita Sua, that's why I was thinking that. But like, I just love that. And, it, and that's actually kind of this, this moment to where you say like, I just remember uh, I had this one guy I had, I had as a friend in college and I saw this the first time is that he mm. used to, um, I, would I hung out and nobody was faithful in my group of friends. 
except for me. And I would go to church every Sunday, even though I was as crazy as the rest of them. And say so you were meeting your girlfriend, right? And that was high school. Oh, that was high school. High, by the time I got to college, I, I just, just told, I just told people, <laughs> I lied to my punk band and I told them that, uh, that I was going to see my girlfriend <laughs> and it was actually going to church and confession. I love it. And it was just like, and which I, is kind of true. Which is she was kind of your girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know we were courting at the time, <laughs> but now you do. <laughs> but now I do. But in college, I was bold and I just said, "Oh, I got to go to mass," and so I'd go to five o'clock mass on on Sunday nights. And and my friends behind my back would make fun of me, but my Protestant friend hmm. used to actually defend me and defend my faith behind my back. And and hmm. I just remember Dan and I became really good friends. He was from Fort Collins, and um, and there's a lot of good that comes before Collins. Yeah, dude. That, it's and and uh, we were in Greeley, so it was, ah, it was awesome. That's a different matter. So th- that's huh. the thing is that I love seeing people catch fire with the faith and like, and like a- actually yeah. have it because when, when you're on fire, people feel that heat and that joy. It's like, it's like right. Israel smiling right. and, and the, the, the right. people carrying the bags for the Roman soldiers when you're just saying like, you know what? I have Imagine a long that. game because I know, I know what we're going towards. So like I'm, f- I'm already free of all of this. I, I'm not playing the same game you are. I, I remember one time I was it was during a political campaign at some point and some folks from Planned Parenthood came to my door and I usually am pretty avoidant of those situations but I just I was just in a bad mood and I kind of let them have it not in a, not in a mean spirited way but I was I talked about the adoptions of my kids and all these things and and it was fine but I'm thinking back to that and I'm like man imagine if I'd have taken those Planned Parenthood people who are coming you know doing door to door and I'd invited him in just for a cup of coffee. Hey, do you guys want a cup of coffee? Are you thirsty at all? Like, I know you're probably working hard. Can I give you a glass of lemonade? I, I, I don't agree with you. You know, I mean, not hiding what I'm saying, but what if I'd have served them in right. some way? I, I don't know. Right. I'm just trying to put this in like, what does this mean? Right. What's the juxtaposition that God is actually asking you to create in your world where people begin to ask the question like, wait, what? Huh? That's what God's asking of us, right? Right. And this is the crazy thing is, is that like, I feel like this is such a core idea of, of our ministerial life here is that and Jesus Christ is not an idea, but a person. Right. And the people that we encountered are not ideas. Not, but we treat them. Our, this is one of our pr- major problems in our culture right now. We treat people as ideas not or as, ideologues. Right. Not as ideologies. persons. Yes. And Which is so much easier to do on social media when you're not looking at a person. Oh, hold on. That answers such a big question that I've been, I've been having a lot of social media conversations. Ugh. On social media, we almost exist depersonalized already. Yeah, and so all, totally. we, so all we do is equate a person with their ideas because Absolutely. that's the only context we have them in. Because you don't have to look them in the eyes, which becomes a lot harder to deal with somebody when you have to look them in the eyes. Right. That's like this podcast. It becomes... <laughs> oh, hold on. Wait a minute. Oh, hold on. Wait a minute. I'm looking hold at you. Yeah, I'm looking at... I'm, you looking at me? Nobody else is here. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. Okay. With the gospel, I wish okay. that the world was already on fire. Which is Jesus. This girl's on fire. <laughs> Isn't that... The world is on fire? No, it's... There's a, there's, there's, I know, but world rhymes with girl, so I'm just trying to make you, help you. That was a real, that's a real song. Yeah, I know, but I'm trying to help you take the words from the gospel <laughs> oh, and apply them to the real song. Come on, man. Oh, man, thank you. Oh, D- dude, thanks for rocking an extra mile with me on that one. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so I'm thinking about the fire, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to take connections too far because I know this wasn't even in the reading we get at Mass, but I was so struck. I think some, such a climactic moment in the ministry of Jeremiah was when the king not only rejects Jeremiah, he burns the word of God and he sets the word of God on fire and then he imprisons the messenger. Mm-hmm. 
And now you have Jesus saying, I wish I could set, I, I've come to set the earth on fire in a very different way. Mm. You know how King Jehoiakim or whoever it was set God's word on fire? I'm going to, I am God's word and I'm going to set the world on fire in a totally different respect. But the, the juxtaposition of setting on the word of God setting on fire, mm. that's what keeps, and I'm not even sure how to connect the dots on that, but the imagery of it is really is stuck with me. I'd like to make a uh, 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 advertisement now for the podcast Word on Fire. Word, oh, Word on Fire, Father, <laughs> Father uh, Bishop Barron. Bishop. The good bishop. Yeah. Did you know I had a retreat with him once? No, I didn't. And, and it was absolutely, um, glor- like, talk about the glory of the Word mm. coming alive. Mm. How were our hearts not burning within us as he walked along with us on the road? Wow. See, like the fi- the word that actually has been planted within us, these witnesses of faith, this great cloud mm. that, that exists is at, are all of these these powerful words. When they're set on fire, they illumine the world. And this is this is the craziest part. Which about- Jesus is suggesting it hasn't happened yet, right? Which is very interesting, right? Right. Because how I wish it were already blazing. It will, but it hasn't yet. Right. Because we still need the full Paschal mystery, the passion, the death, resurrection, and ascension back to the Father. Well, he explains that in different words. He says the same thing. He says there's a baptism. I mean, you can ask. It's almost the the question behind the question. I wish it were already blazing. Well, why isn't it? Oh, it's because there's a baptism with which I must be baptized. Right. Which is translated. It's definitely in the Gospel of Mark. Right. He says the cross is the baptism with which he must be baptized. Remember when Peter, is it uh, James and John? Yes. We want the thrones that you're right in your left hand. He's like, like, are you prepared to be baptized with the baptism with which I am about to be baptized, i.e. the cross? And they're like, yeah, whatever. We don't know, <laughs> we don't know what you're talking sure. about. But that's Jesus. That's the the tra- that's the, uh, the Rosetta Stone here, right? He's like, oh, so this fire is going to blaze once Jesus submits to the oppressors and the enemy and allows Willingly. himself to be seemingly defeated and then blows everything open. But willingly goes forward. What does is, what is, uh, Hebrews say? Um, ridding himself of every burden and every sin. He's not sinful, but ridding himself of all those burdens no, and the, walking toward the cross. The sin clings to him. The because sin he, of us. Because he's taken it to himself. Oh, he, he is the example of the scapegoat. Oh, he, is, he is the one. He's not the taken. example of it. He is it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I know what you strike, mean. I'm just... Strike that, reverse it. He is the scapegoat. Like, yes. He is the true one who has the sins cling to him. And how great is my anguish until it's accomplished. Right. It's, it's such a, if you think about what a human thing that is, I don't think he's merely saying, oh, I can't wait until there's amazing Catholic podcasts, finally, that everyone can listen to. I, you know, and they're setting the world. That was, funny. that was funnier than you gave it credit for. <laughs> no, no, I, but I, he's, I thought you had an Australian accent for a second, oh, and I, I was I like, don't. yeah, you don't. But he's not just saying, I can't wait until evangelization is happening. How great is my anguish until it's accomplished? I just wonder on a human level, if you know you have to endure something terrible, and you know it's going to, even if you know it's going to bring great fruit, the anguish of anticipating that. I wonder if that's part of what he's saying. I'm going to do what the Israelites could never do in the time of Jeremiah. And how great is my anguish until it's, oh, until it is accomplished. Until I finally get to do it. And I just anticipate. I mean, imagine the second person of the Trinity takes on the anguish of anticipating this thing that he must do, which is going to call together all of salvation history in himself. And he's like, it's any day now. It's coming. Mm. Which is just, it's just a, it's a very human statement that he says. And yes, obviously he wants evangelization to happen and the fire to be set ablaze. But, and then he, then he gets to the, the, 
I think, more seemingly problematic lines, right? He's like, do you think that I've come to establish peace on the earth? In other words, what he's, he's saying, no, I've come to bring division, which I don't think is Jesus saying, I'm really pumped to divide everybody. Right. No, he's simply, st- it's a matter of fact. He's saying, do you think that everyone's going to love this? Do you think that when I go to the cross, everyone's going to be like, yeah, what a great decision. He's like, no, it's totally going to divide everybody. Right. Just like it did in the time of Jeremiah. I don't know if there was even division in the time of Jeremiah. Well, no, we talk about the Rechabites, right? There's, there's some faithful folks who are like, no, we get it. And everyone like, else is like, no, you guys are fools. And imagine these small group of people that say, wow, our leader has submitted to the oppressors and he's brought us salvation through that. And everyone else saying, what fools you are, which is essentially the story of the early church that I just told, right? Right. This is what Jesus is describing. He's not saying, oh, I can't wait to divide all these people. He's simply saying, look, this is going to be the reality. You know salvation history. You know the story. You know how this works. You also just know humanity. This is how it's going to go. Three will divide against two. Household of five will be divided. Father against his son. Mother against her daughter. Daughter against her mother. mother Mother-in-law against her daughter. He really goes into detail of all the particular (laughs) relationships that are going to be strained, which I find fascinating how detailed he goes into that. It's a rhetorical device for the the reason why he does this. Please. I I, I don't know. I never understood exactly. Well, because you can just say family. You don't need to put all the details into it. Right. So why does he? So that we'll remember. Uh, how I do, yeah. real that is. You can uh, say mother you can and daughter, the father-in-law, everybody you can picture groans. those relationships. Right. Oh, and wow, you, you say, no, you're going to actually... Oh, interesting. So that, you, so that when you're like looking and you're saying, are we going to be divided? And then you were looking at, at your father-in-law or your mother-in-law mm. and you're going like, oh no, I or actually... Or your mother. Or, or your, your mother dad. or your dad. Yeah. And you're saying, wow, I actually have to do this. This is actually no matter the, what the cost, right? Because because if I'm going to mm. submit myself to what I know to be know to be true, mm. um, and to this person, because ultimately this is the thing: what we know to be true is the personhood of Jesus Christ and His transformative power within His church that He established through people and sending the gospel to us in this incarnate way. Yes. So like that, and mm. so He's saying yes, but I'm still going to provide for you relationship. Yes. Even though these relationships are going to be broken, there is going to be relationship in the midst of it. And he doesn't say they're going to be obliterated, but he says there will be division. Right. Right. Because if you, because this is, this is the thing that I, I like long for in the depths of my being is for us to be courageous, to enter into one another's story and help each other interpret in light of grace and the gospel. Okay, Scott. I mean, that's yeah. like that's yeah. like yeah. why you and I get together. Like, right. like literally t- today is we're dealing with um, Jeep doors and the, and taking my, <laughs> the top off my Jeep. Yeah. It's it, we're, we're talking about what's real within our lives right. and and looking and trying to come back and bring those ideas into mm-hmm. this moment of scripture, yeah. and to say like, how are we meant to live here? Because yeah. it's because because this world is very hard. Yeah. And and I need help interpreting the weird things that are going on because I haven't yeah, resisted right. yet to the point of shedding blood. Of course, yeah, yeah. I, I I know that I still need to resist the temptations. So be, why? Because I see. Okay, submit to the thing yeah. that is that seems like it's going to rock you. Because right. on the other side of it, there is a joy that you have tasted, you have seen, you right. know what it looks like, or I know what it looks like. So yeah. trust me, I'm yeah. your friend. I'm mm. here with you. This isn't just an idea. This mm. is a real relationship. And look at how I've done it. Right. And not only that, but look, I've done it on your behalf so that you can now do it. Right. I didn't do it so that you don't have to. I did it so that you can. Right. 
which is fundamental and, to the gospel. And that you that you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> that was coming. <laughs> you can you, you can do it imperfectly. See that? Wow, that's a powerful line. Right. Because that's going to happen. That, <laughs> <laughs> right. You can try. You don't have to like just set all these laws so that, that you can almost, like that, that you huh. don't want to screw up. It's like, no, come yeah. on, follow me. Get, get, get this out there. And I'm, I'm going to, even the ones that yeah. are closest to me, I'm going to, might, I might hurt a little bit. And you might have to have this baptism. Yeah. But there is this joy that you press on to. Yeah. So yeah. do not yet submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was really good. I yeah. feel like that that answered something. I, I don't. I feel like there's still a peak, or there's like something deep inside of this that mm. I really want to encourage you guys to look at. Um, Indeed. Be holy, y'all. Be holy, or try, or or at least want it. Yeah, I, you know, you, you know what I really hate is is uh, whenever I say I'll try, and everybody's like, do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> Thank you, Yoda. I'm like Yoda. You know what? Just because you flip <laughs> some words doesn't make it right. <laughs> Little, little, he's very wise. Little though. green marmot. He's very. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really like Yoda. <laughs> Dude, like di- green marmot. Dissing Yoda oh, feels man. like a like a like a cultural cardinal sin. I know. I'm tempted to go back and erase it. Cause I'm afraid of. <laughs> I'm afraid of the emails we're gonna get. Jacob Gruber oh. alone is gonna be so angry. I All of the Grubers have their jaws to the floor. They're right like, now. did he just? I can't what? believe. It. <laughs> As they're sitting they're, out they're of their Yoda the Lego, They're destroying the Lego version of you in their little city. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you <laughs> getting out of their, their Yoda mugs. <laughs> their Yoda mugs. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, submit to it, probably. Okay, Just I will. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Keep us in your prayers. And uh, yeah, bye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org A-I-C-T, and you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.